Amen. I was talking to a friend who I hadn't um, talked with in, in a little while, and they were catching me up, you know, as one does, on some of the things that have been going on in their life, uh, some of the things they were struggling with. And one of the things that they shared uh, stood out to me because it's, be- it's become a bit of a theme, and I don't know if this applies to you or not, but I- I'm guessing that it's going to apply to a few of you because I've, I've seen this happen. And um, he-, he-, he told me that, uh, that, the- that the news, you-, you know, the news, anyone still watch the news, a few of you? Don't know how you do it. The news has been giving them uh, anxiety. You know, it's just all too overwhelming, and it, and it, and it's just really um, just you know to to kind of help reduce anxiety and be, have a better. He's trying to watch the news less. Anyone ever reach that place? There's a um, uh, what we call doom scrolling. Ryan, you can play that video. You know, there's a lot of uh, problems in the world, and and it seems at times that the world is falling apart, um, whether it be climate crisis, um, racial justice, shootings, climate change. Election controversy, mass shootings, mass extinction, disease, outbreaks. 351 shootings so far this year. More shootings up to that point when that was written in days of the year. Arctic Sea, ice, sixth lowest on record, climate change. Any st- study finds human-driven mass extinction is eliminating entire branches of the tree of life. Anyone else, does this stress anyone else out? Did anyone else find this maybe just a little overwhelming, all the news? You know, there's no easy fix, and all of this, like, fear and anxiety that comes from all of these things, it builds up, and it can be overwhelming. And, you know, it it doesn't take long on Google to realize that this is a real problem in society. Um, Not these are real problems. The news is talking about real problems. But the, the way in which the news and all of this really bad stuff is affecting us, something that therapists and psychologists are starting to call um, doom scrolling, headline anxiety, or even headline stress disorder. Headline stress disorder, like it's a diagnosable disorder. One one big headache, if you ask me. Today, I want to share a better way. We're in a series where it talks about what it means to love like Jesus. And what I've found is that the way of Jesus offers a better way to respond to the problems in the world. So here's the first thing, just because we brought it up. Here's here's what I know, the little bit of experience I have, and I don't know everything, about how to to respond to headlines. Here's a couple of really simple points just to help us move. Here's the first thing. Headlines are designed to grab your attention and get you to react. Now, it's true that some news programs are better at this than others, and some try to be more factual than others and less clickbaity. Uh, but most news programs are going to make money off of you when you click on the article, so they're going to word it in a way to get you to click on the article. In other words, they want you to react to the news. News rarely is designed to get you to act. It's designed to get you to react, to feel something about it so you 
comment or share, et cetera, but not to actually take action. Headlines are designed to get you to react. They are not designed to get you to act. It's important to know. Here's the second thing to know. The underlying issues represented in a lot of news stories are important, and they need to be addressed. The issues represented in the doom scrolling I showed you today include racial justice, climate change, election controversy, mass shootings, um, mass extinction. Every single one of these is important, and it's important that we're aware of these issues. So I'm not saying to not be aware. What I would suggest is that we watch or read the news just enough so that we're aware of the issues to be motivated to act, which leads to number three. Here, here's the third one. Worrying about these issues won't change them. I found worrying doesn't change anything other than paralyzes me. And I know this is hard to come to terms with. News programs give us anxiety and worry, and those are real emotions if you experience that. And I don't want to dismiss that. But worry and anxiety isn't going to change the world. It's okay if you worry. I worry. It's okay if you have anxiety. I have anxiety. In fact, if you don't worry and you don't have anxiety, I have enough I will happily share. Not a problem. But as someone who worries, I've learned that, that my biggest impact on the world happens when I can find my peace, and I can move forward to actually make a difference. So the world needs people willing to be aware of the issues and actually act to change them, who are actually willing to work at it. Because worrying without working isn't going to change the world. So Jesus, though, when it loved like Jesus, knows a few things about how to change the world. So over 2,000 years ago, Followers, over the last 2,000 years, followers of Jesus have been trying to continue Jesus' legacy of changing the world for the better. And, and I want to be very clear here, Christians have gotten it wrong, okay? Don't get me started on colonization and, you know, slavery and, you know, the Crusades. There's a lot that, a lot that Christians have gotten wrong. But there are, there are some things that people who follow after Jesus have gotten right. Like hospitals, that was a really good idea kind of originated in Christianity. Christians were some of the first, at least in the Western world, that said, hey, you know what? We don't know how to keep you from dying, but we'll care for you until you die. And so they created hospice. And that eventually, as science developed over time, gave birth to hospitals. And so Christians formed, you know, it's why, it's why if you look, why most Western hospitals have Christian roots. They're, they're Catholic, they're Lutheran, they're Methodist, etc. Because we kind of, long time ago, Christians started taking this seriously. Or consider universities. A few of you probably went to school, university. You can hardly name a historic Western university that didn't start as a seminary. So so-called Christians were part of the problem when it came to slave trade and et cetera. But, but it was authentic, well-organized followers of Jesus that have changed the world. I mean, think about the civil rights movement, the union movement, et cetera. All of these movements were Christians who said, you know what, we should make the world better. So what was it about Jesus that he was able to start a movement literally 2,000 years ago with the ripples that we're able to feel now? Of course, it's because Jesus loved the broken and the outcast and the hurting. We sing about that today, no doubt. But it's not just that. It's how Jesus focuses. So this is like a workshop today on how to change the world. So if you're not interested in changing the world, this may or may not be relevant to you. But if you're interested, I think this is going to be helpful. Jesus focused his love. And, 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 okay, we're supposed to love everyone, correct? The reality is, is we can't love everyone the same because we have limited ability. Uh, when it comes to limited time, limited attention, limited days in the week, 
we can't spend the same amount of time with everyone. With limited time and attention and energy, we can't work on every world crisis at the same time. It just doesn't work. So why do you think it's producing anxiety for those who struggle with this? Because anxiety is, by definition, trying to control a problem that we're not able to fix. You're trying to control something you can't control. So Jesus, even God in the flesh Jesus, who was pretty impressive, more impressive than me and more impressive than you, couldn't give undivided attention to every person he encountered. They had to be strategic. And here's what we see Jesus do. Here's how he divided his time and energy. He's uh, how he loved everyone. This is how Jesus loved everyone. This is how he started a movement that has changed the world overall for the better. Um, so we're going to divide uh, these, the people that Jesus interacted with into a couple of groups, and we're going to talk about each one. Here's the first one. Jesus actually cared for systemic issues going on in the world. He cared for entire populations of people. The type of perspective of the entire population where you don't actually know individual stories, but you know the overarching problems of that population, okay? Jesus cared about that. Second, and you don't have to put these up yet, Ryan. Second, Jesus cared for the concerns of the crowds or very large groups of people. Um, Still too many people to know personally, um, but enough to gather in one place. Um, Third, he had a community of people that he actually knew, that he lived and he worked with. Likely around 70 to 100 people, we estimate, he had a community that provided the support he needed to be. And those are the names. He actually knew their names and knew their stories. Fourth, he had specifically 12 disciples. Probably heard that before. And he really got to know them, and he really spent a lot of time with them. And then finally, he had an even smaller group of people. We're not going to spend time looking at that today. But he had an even smaller group of about three or four that really spent some extra time with Jesus. So we're going to start large and get smaller. So let's start with entire populations. You can put up that slide, Ryan. So Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. A week before he would be arrested, tried, hung on a cross before he would die for our sins. And the road to Jerusalem, it went up this large hill uh, to, to this mount, and on top of it, you could see the entire city. I, I had a chance to visit Jerusalem with my parents and my wife um, of, of quite a few years ago. Um, here's me and Alyssa back in 2013. We were just kids back then. Here we are standing on the mount. This is what Jesus would have looked like, sort of. I mean, obviously, it's changed a lot in 2,000 years, but in some ways, it hasn't. And he would climb up this mount, and he would be able to see all of Jerusalem down before him. You can kind of get the image. So he's, he's up there, he's looking over. Jesus is looking over Jerusalem. He can see the whole city. And as God in the flesh, he knows its challenges of this entire population, more people than he could meet in his short time on earth. But he knows like the big picture. He knows the crime and the hurt and the sickness and the fears and the systemic corruption and et cetera. He kind of knows, like you just everyone probably knew. Not to mention the fact that, that during this time, the Romans occupied Jerusalem and Israel, and so you had oppression from the Romans, all of these things, restricting how they practiced their faith. So even if he wasn't God in the flesh, he would know the challenges of the city. Because, you know, people talk. News spreads. They didn't have Facebook back then, but people still talked. So he would be aware of what the people were facing. And you can almost imagine Jesus standing there looking over the city, doom-scrolling in his mind, you know, all of the problems. And he ponders their struggles. And we know he does this because Luke 19.41 tells us. Luke 19.41 says this. And when he drew near and saw the city, he's standing up there, you can see the whole city, he wept over it. 
saying, would, they, would that you, even you, he's talking to the city, had known on this day the things that, might, that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. He, he climbs up this hill and he looks over Jerusalem and he cries. Oh my gosh, if only you guys knew how to make things right and live differently. And they don't. Have you ever watched the news and pondered the struggles of the world and you just wanted to cry? Jesus does. And he laments this simple fact. He says, it doesn't have to be this way. There's a better way if only you knew the things that would bring peace. Wholeness, life, peace in the Jewish faith was more than just absence of conflict. It meant that you were whole, that you had all that you needed, that people were getting along, and there was a, a thriving community. He's like, oh, if only you knew what it was. You, it's possible. If only you could see it. He says, but you can't. Your eyes just don't seem to be working. Sounds very human, doesn't it? Sometimes we just can't see it. We know life could be different, but we don't know how to get there. Jesus knew the pain of an entire society, entire cities. He knew their problems, and he was moved by that. But even Jesus couldn't wave a wand to make the entire city different. That's just not how it works. So when it comes to loving entire cities, entire populations, the issues that plague them, the best that we can do is lament. And it's not anything that we should shy away to weep, to, to feel the pain. This is different than being anxious. This is allowing the pain of entire populations to be to move you. An old Jewish practice of lamenting. You're like, hey, this is not, it's recognizing that this is not how it should be. And that is a, a source of great motivation to wanting to change the world. You sit with the pain. But you can't leave it there. Jesus didn't stay on that hill lamenting over the city for the next couple of weeks sad, not doing anything about it. He had a plan for changing the world. So let's look at the next size of group. As groups of people get smaller, we see Jesus' response shift. So Jesus, um, and you can put up the crowds. So Jesus, in the height of his ministry, had large crowds following him, thousands of people, far too many to learn every person's name, but far less than an entire you know, city or population. But once there was this really large crowd following Jesus that that. It, this is a fun fact. Jesus tried to get away from, okay? Uh, Jesus had been working with this crowd for a while, and he was tired. Because I don't know if you know this, people are exhausting. And uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's true. They are. Um, you included. Definitely me included. Um, I know. And Jesus is exhausted. So he, this is a true story. You can read it for yourself in, in, in the Gospel of Mark and a few other places. He, he and his disciples get in a boat. They, they've got this huge crowd up on the shore. And they get in a boat, and they're going to cross the Sea of Galilee, which is really just a small lake. But, the, you know, translation issues, we call it the Sea of Galilee. So he's going to cross the Sea of Galilee to get across. And that's important because it's really not that big of a lake. And the crowd see them get in the boat, cross this lake, um, and they're like, going to have none of that. So they walk around the edge. You know, you can walk around the lake. So they walk around the lake. And they're there when Jesus gets there. And he's like, I can't get away from these people. Mark 6, 34 tells us what happens. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, oh, they snuck around. He had compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd, you know, you know. 
there's still shepherds in, in Israel to this day. You can see them in some of the places of the wilderness, and people still live in tents and care for sheep in parts of Israel. Um, not, not all of Israel, but still today, when we were there, we saw a few. And, and so this is something that would be very familiar, and sheep wandering without any sort of care or leadership is not a good thing. They wouldn't survive. And he's like, oh, these people, just, they, they don't know how to do it. And I, and I want to help them. He had compassion on them. Even though people are exhausting and they were literally trying to get away from the crowds, he couldn't stop caring. He had compassion. He was moved to act. If you read on, Jesus goes on to feed them all. All 5,000. A story we looked at just a few weeks ago with John Edgar, if you were here. From what started as just a few loaves and a few fishes, it was this big miracle where everyone shared what they had, and he fed everyone. He met their basic needs. So here's what we see so far from Jesus. For entire cities or populations, he's aware of the issues. He laments. He grieves. He knows the pain people are experiencing, these systemic issues. Jesus is aware of this, and we should be aware too. But for large crowds, he's aware of their needs and he has compassion on them. And compassion leads to action. He addresses their basic needs. He can't get to know every single person or hear every story or become best friends with all 5,000 people who are hungry. And by the way, there are more, there's, I think, more than 5,000 who are currently unhoused in Columbus just to bring this home. He might not be able to get to know every story, but he can make sure that they have something to eat or that their basic needs are met. Do you kind of see how this is working? The, the smaller the group gets, the Jesus' response becomes a little different. He meets their basic needs. And so as the group gets smaller, it becomes more personal and practical. So here's the next one, um, community. Jesus was able to meet the basic needs of the, of the crowds because he had a community that made that possible. You see, the crowds came to hear Jesus preach and and to be healed by Jesus and to learn from Jesus, and Jesus was able to do all of that because he had a group of people supporting him. They did it together. And not just his disciples. You've probably heard of the 12 disciples. There were many more a part of this group. Jesus had a larger group, probably around 70 to 100 people who traveled with him. Some hosted him in his homes. Um, When he was passing through various towns, they supported him from a distance. He had a community of people that worked much like a church before the church was even invented. We get a glimpse of this in Luke chapter 8. It reads like this. After Jesus traveled about from one town to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God, the 12 were with him. That's the 12 disciples. And also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases, Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, the manager of Herod's household, so she's got some means, and connections, by the way, Susanna and many others, and here's the part that you probably haven't read before, these women were helping to support them out of their own means. In a world that looked down on women and didn't expect to allow women to work or have their own resources, weren't even allowed to own property, it was women who were, were specifically mentioned in the Gospels as, as the funding source for Jesus' ministry. Not just women. We know that other people supported. You know, lots of people did. Lazarus is a good friend of Jesus, and there's other mentions. Um, but here, Luke wants to make it clear that, that women were his biggest supporters. They provided the wraparound services for Jesus' community. It was his community that made it possible for Jesus to respond to the needs of the, church, of the crowds. The same is true for us. 
Our, ch our church is able to address the, the needs of the crowds and respond to the needs of our city, not because of any one person, not, not because of me, not because of any one of you, be because we come together and su support each other. And that's the response. That's the, that's the role that community has is support. And it's more than just having financial resources to do this kind of work, although that's very important. It's support in a much broader sense. Jesus had friends. People he enjoyed being with. You know, it's interesting because Jesus tells his disciples that he's friends, but, but you really see Jesus' emotional friendship, and this is in my notes, with, with his friend uh, Lazarus, who he raises from the dead. There was this close relationship there, and he wasn't even one of the 12. He had friends who were not just the 12 that he was investing in. We'll get to those in a second. He had this group of friends that he did life with. He enjoyed being with them. He ate dinner, and he hung out with them. We know this. Because the staunch religious people complained about Jesus doing this. Uh, Matthew eleven nineteen says this. He says, they say he is a glutton and a drunkard. You can put this up, Ryan. He's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is proved right by her deeds. I don't think that Jesus was necessarily a glutton and a drunkard, but I do think he enjoyed life more than religious people were comfortable with. And we know from Nehemiah that the joy will be our strength. And I know that if you want to change the world, if I want to change the world and meet the needs of the masses and respond to very complex issues that we should be responding to, and you don't want to completely collapse from the weight of all the bad news in the world, you're going to need a community you enjoy doing life with. I have a friend who's a pastor who's doing a lot of this work. But she found herself in a church where nobody liked her, treated her horribly. She had no friends, no community in that church. And the work collapsed. You can't continue the work when you don't have community. So yeah, financial resources are important, but there's a bigger support here that happens. You need to have fun and eat and drink and play board games and laugh. Without that, how do you expect to have the will or the strength to keep doing good in the world? Now, if you want to drill down a little bit smaller, we can see that in this community, there were 12 that he spent more time with, 12 disciples. He met regularly and invested in this small group of people, what would be known as the 12 disciples. So in Mark 3, we see Jesus select the 12 disciples, and then we're told um, the purpose for choosing the 12. Mark 3, 14 says it like this. He appointed 12 that, okay? So here's the reason why, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. So that they might be with him, and that they might be sent out to do what he was already doing. This is the real world change. This is, this is how world change happens. Jesus could have just kept this community and been happy. He would preach, and crowds would gather, and they would feed people. And it, I mean, like, that would be enough, don't you think? Like, that would be really exciting. That's what, you know, that's where most churches stop. They would spend time together. They would do good things. They would serve the community. They would care for the sick. They would love the unlovable, all that good stuff. And that could have been enough. And, and then I would say that sometimes that's where we stop. We have each other, and we do a little good in the community, but that's not going to change the world by itself. It's not enough. If that's all Jesus would have done, do good in the world and have a community of people that you're doing it with, we would not be gathered here today, I promise you. Christianity would not have made it out of the first century. 
You see, Jesus didn't just do good works. He pulled aside a small group of people to invest in, to train, so that they could go out and do what he did. He invested in a few who could invest in a few others, who would go on to invest in a few others, who would go on to invest in a few others. And if you keep going down that line, after generation, after generation, after generation, you will eventually end up with you. You're here. Someone invited you. You heard about it somewhere. Somebody invested in you. We all have different stories, but I'm guessing there was someone involved, a person in your life somewhere who shared a story or did something where you heard about Christianity enough to want to know more about it. This is the principle of multiplication. By spending a lot of time with a few people, this has flipped it. You know, we want to see radical change in large numbers, but Jesus spent a lot of time with a few people. He was able to multiply his efforts. Here's what I dare you. I dare you to try to find a movement, and, you, and some of you are pretty clever, so you'll find one. But I dare you to find a movement that has changed the world that didn't include this basic principle. Uh, give you an example. I mentioned it earlier. Civil rights movement. Big fan. We know about the big events and the newsworthy events. Here's some photos. You know, you've probably heard about the, 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 the bus boycott, right? You've heard of people going into a diner that they weren't supposed to go into because it was for whites only and they got spit on and hot coffee was poured on. You've heard of these big events. But did you know that didn't happen by accident? It wasn't just because they were like extra special humans who had a deep resolve and I want to be like them someday. No, it was very, very strategic. It was rooted in a community of support and discipleship, what we might call non-church world training, learning to live differently. It included what we call small groups of people learning how to do things differently. Here's a, here's a picture you probably haven't seen. Here's a group of uh, African-Americans uh, practicing a protest. There were all these nonviolent protest training, and you have somebody yelling at them, berating them, making fun of them, so they are prepared for when it happens in real life. All of these big events that you heard about didn't come in isolation, but because people got together and they learned how to do things differently, people invested in them, they learned. You can't find uh, the civil rights movement was rooted in the church and discipleship happened because people, you can't find a movement that changes the world that doesn't include investing in a few who could in turn invest in a few others. That's the beauty of Jesus' model. And that's the secret to changing the world. So I want you to imagine Jesus gets up on the hill, you know, and he's like looking out over Jerusalem. And he's heartbroken. He knows the crime, the disease, the pandemics, the, the, the racial tensions, the ethnic tensions, all of this happening in Jerusalem, the same as our city, in different ways, but it's still happening. It's still happening there. In fact, I, I think there was something in the news just this week. It's in the news. And he's looking, he knows. Jesus, in fact, he's looking over Jerusalem. He says, oh, if you only knew what would bring you peace. Here's what Jesus probably knew 70 years later. I think it was around 70 years. The Jewish people would rise up against the Romans. They would say, we want our independence, and they would fight back against the Romans with sword. They would spill blood. And the Romans would want to make an example of them, and the Romans would come with all their force and destroy Jerusalem, including the temple. Just destroy it. I wonder if Jesus knew that was going to happen. He said, oh, if only you knew what would bring peace. And then you know what? He could stay up here. Spend his time sitting on that hill, 
scrolling through all the things that are wrong in the world, all the things that are wrong in Jerusalem, never getting past lament. As if he was spending his day scrolling through all the angry, stressed, hurt, Facebook, 24-hour news cycles, doing nothing but commenting. This is horrible. Someone should do something about it. No. How would the world be different if that's all Jesus did? Our church takes this example of Jesus pretty seriously. Here's what these principles look like here at our church. First, we are and we will continue to be concerned with the needs of our city of central Ohio. We look over Columbus and we see things like children dying before the age of one. Major pandemic, so we did something about it. We launched Little Bottoms Free Store, which is now a full-fledged nonprofit on the west side. Serves babies with infant uh, clothes, diapers, wipes, and connects them with resources. We can look through the city, and you don't have to watch very much news to realize that gun violence and violence in general is a major issue in our city. And we lament that, and we grieve, but then we organize to do something about it. We can't be a church in Columbus and not care about the systemic change that we hope to see in central Ohio. But we also care about people's basic needs of individuals. You know, we see people who are food insecure, and we do things like bless our city, and we installed a blessing box outside, which we've had to stock, uh, you know, once or twice every week, every, uh, once or twice a week with people taking food out of our blessing box already, and it's a brand new box. And we support ministries that are meeting people's real needs. But we can only do that because we're trying to build a community of support where people give of their resources, absolutely. People give, and I am so grateful because it enables us to do what we do. People give of their time. You're here. You gave of some of your time. You didn't have to be here. No one forced you unless you're a child. You might have been forced or bribed. I got to watch the iPad earlier, so, you know, that works. But we have to be a place that, that's able to gather and, and support and enjoy each other and um, where we can organize and we can afford to do the things that we care about and that we enjoy life together, doing fun things so that we have the energy to do the hard stuff. And I, this is a big part. First off, just FYI, if you don't know me, I'm an Enneagram 7, so this is a big deal for me. Don't know what that is. Google it. It's fascinating. Um, it means I want people to have fun. But I also really care about issues of justice, and I think those go hand in hand. If you want to make a difference in the world, you've got to have the energy to do it. You've got to know why you're doing it. And when we gather together and have fun, that's why it's so important. It gives us what to do. Now, I'm not saying that the world will change because you join a tabletop game group, okay? But I will say this, that if you expect to have the energy to change the world and to sustain that work over the period of your life, the long struggle for justice, you won't have that energy if you don't find people that you enjoy doing life with, who have a similar vision for the world, who want to see things get better, who want to use our gifts and our talents and our resources and our prayers and our financial resources to make a difference in the world. So joining a tabletop game group might not change the world, but if you're going to change the world, you better join something. You better find some people who want to have a similar vision and find a way to do life together. So here's the thing. One of the action steps today, I know there's a lot of problems in the world. The first step to making a difference is finding people to do life with. I promise you, there's never been a movement where that didn't happen. So uh, I think I got that final slide, Ryan. Easy way to find a group here. And you know what? There's a lot of ways to find a group of people outside of our church. 
And if you've got that already, great. But there's a benefit, there's a joy to connecting with people that you're also worshiping with. So here's the easiest thing, and I'm going to mention this at this service particularly because I know you guys have the ability to do this. You can download the Church Center app. We use it for everything. It's where you can see the church calendar. It's got an online directory where you can connect with other people. It also has all of our groups. You can also go to cityviewcolumbus.org groups, and it will show you our groups. But spoiler alert, if you click on one of those groups, it will take you to the Church Center app. Okay. So uh, you can skip that step. Now, you can also access the Church Center app on a normal website. You don't have to download the app. You can go to cityviewcolumbus.churchcenter.com. You know, and if you go to our website, it will take you to the website version. But if you have a smartphone with enough storage to download a very small app, I encourage you to do so. And you can go to the Groups tab, and you can find all of the different groups. If you've already signed up for a group, once you log in, um, if you download the app, you'll have to search for a church because a lot of churches use this app, but it'll, if you turn on location, it will pop right up, especially if you're doing it right now because it's tied to this location. And you can uh, log in with whatever credentials you've already created. Like if you've engaged with us in some way, you're in the system already. You can log in with your phone, your email address. And if you've already signed up for a group on the website or requested to join, it'll show up. Um, this will also tell you when events are happening, various groups. It'll send automatic reminders to you when a group is happening. So I encourage you to find your people, people who are interested in the same vision of the world where you can enjoy each other, where you can learn to live more like Jesus, whether that be having a conversation around what Richard War has to say or having fun around a table. Um, it's not either or. It's always both and that is what I encourage you to do. If we want to love like Jesus, we have to be a community like Jesus. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for showing up and meeting us in all kinds of unique ways and helping us be a community of people. God, we don't take lightly the the needs in the world. We know that there are individuals right now who are hungry, struggling with addiction, currently unhoused, individuals who are raised in and around violence and see it as the only way to help themselves. God, we don't judge. We just grieve. We know that there is a better way, and we hope that you would use us as imperfect as we are, as broken as we are, with all of our issues and anxieties and stress, with all of our heartache and heartbrokenness, that all of those things that we just can't overcome in our own lives, use us, Lord. If we can be a part of the solution, use us. Work within us to make us who you created us to be. Give us hope. Help us to love one another. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. All of God's people said, amen.